Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Religion puts you in the place where it's all about externalism. Let's control the external behaviors. Let's control the external structure of how you relate to God and call that holiness when you get it right. When what true freedom really is, spiritual freedom, is that it starts in that spiritual place from God, God's love for you as a human, God's love for you as His creation, and then Him reaching to you spiritually by manifesting Himself as a human and taking upon himself everything that separated you from him. See, you can best understand salvation in exchange. He took your place. He became your sin. He took the penalty of the covenant being broken upon himself. He took your sickness, took your disease. He passed into the grave, conquered death, Hades, and the grave for you. Everything he did was so that he could turn to you and give it to you and say, okay, now you're free. What are you going to do with it? That's, that's the way this country was actually started. It's like, let's put just enough law in place to protect everybody and then be free. That's how we are in God. But God's law is in our heart. God's spirit is within us and leads us and guides us into the truth inwardly. And that's what this place is all about. You know, sometimes people come in, and, I, and I've heard people, you know, they, they have concepts or they have questions of confusion because our approach to Christianity, our approach to God, so to speak, starts from that spiritual place, not from the physical place to try to get to Him. It starts from once you say yes to Jesus, you're with Him. He is right there with you. You are one with Him now. Now let's live from that place. Get it in proper perspective that he has made you holy. He's made you righteous. He's made you acceptable. You're with him because of the blood. Now let's deal with your marriage. Now let's deal with this habitual sin that's in your life. I have to look up when I do these things, when I list the list, because I, <laughs> I don't want people to think, oh, was he talking about me? No. Like, let's get it right, who we are in Jesus. Then let's deal with the external stuff, because it starts in spirit, and then everything else is a fruit of what you believe. Everything else is a fruit of the choices that you've made based on who you think that you are. So a little bit of a history lesson. Some of the, well, most of the original, most of the letters in the New Testament were written to refute Gnosticism or legalism. Like they were mostly letters to correct issues that had crept into the church. So when Paul would write letters, he was addressing, you know, you guys are saying that Jesus wasn't real. We've seen him. We touched him. We looked at him. We knew that he was here. You're in him. You're not separate from him. Because it was a popular Gnostic teaching to say that God is so holy that he's separate from this physical realm. The physical realm is actually bad this place is not actually directly connected to God. There's just these emanations away from God till you get here. But what you really need to do is figure out how to get to God. That's kind of a Gnostic fruit of teaching. And we still have that in the church today because we've been taught that your body is bad, that the physical world is bad, 
or it's evil. And that's just not the case. It can be yielded to evil, but it can also be yielded to the Spirit of God and experience holiness and righteousness, right? I mean, when a baby is laying there in the, in the, in the what do you call that thing? <laughs> Something like that. And it's crying. It's not crying because it's saying, I want to kill somebody. <laughs> it's crying because it's thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm freaking out. I'm scared. You know, the root of sin nature is fear, not the desire to do evil. I mean, that's kind of another topic, but I just wanted to say physical is not necessarily bad, only if it's yielded to bad influences, meaning it's you're not in a place separated from God because your flesh is bad. Does that make sense to you? Gnosticism would teach, let's separate all this stuff out. Now, then the scientific mind came in in the 1600s, and there was a few guys. Um, Newton was one. And they started to develop a worldview or a view of how everything operates and exists from the perspective of everything has some sort of matter and energy, everything is material to some degree, and in fact, nothing exists that you can't observe, that you can't test, and that you can't scrutinize. And so this major separation and wedge happened, and just like we've removed God out of schools and graveyards, I didn't know that about the graveyards, did y'all know that? That's crazy. We, religion has done the same thing and started to remove God out of your marriage and remove God out of your workplace and remove God out of your education and remove God out of your daily existence and put us in the place where it's, where it's left us thinking God is out there somewhere. I have to figure out how to get him here, so that must mean I've got to perform some way to get him to come. That's the fruit of a Gnostic teaching because it makes you think that you're separate from God. Well, what did Jesus say about the kingdom? Where is the kingdom? Within. The kingdom of heaven is within. He said the kingdom doesn't come with outward observation. The kingdom of heaven is within you. So when we approach life, when we approach what we're trying to manifest and walk out our callings into this world, we have to realize let's start from the place of spirit. Let's start from the place of knowing that we're connected with God and then live from there rather than the religious perspective of let's deal with all this external stuff and if you get your outer world cleaned up, then you can get closer to God. It's backwards. Religion is backwards. You have to make these kinds of shifts because it's important when you start dealing with the habitual sins that you still mess around with in your life. The, the marriage issues, the financial issues, the issues that are in the world that we can actually do something about, like hunger and slavery and all of that stuff, we have to start from knowing where we are in spirit with God and then move from there. But what if you miss it? What if you do choose sin? What if in that moment of temptation, you decide, you know what, I think sin's a better option than this grace that there's, you're looking at this mountain of grace realizing I could choose this and have this or this tiny little nothing of sin. And a lot of times we go for the nothing because we don't know how to access the grace and let it empower us. But the point of all this is when you start looking at, okay, I've got my daily life. I've got problems. Where's God in this? I need to, I need to make sure that I'm connected with him. You have to know you're not separate from him. He's in you. 
He's with you, and you have to know how he's going to talk to you. See, a lot of people are afraid of God. A lot of people have their Christianity kind of sectioned off where it's like, I'm just going to do my rituals of Christianity, but I'm not actually going to have a relationship with him. I'm not actually going to live with him. I'm not actually going to look to him for guidance and apply the leading that I'm getting. I'm just going to keep it all compartmentalized. But if you do believe that God is with you and connected to you, how is he going to speak to you? How is he going to lead you? How is he going to guide you? I think knowing the character of God and how he sees you is important. Are you all with me so far? Because I'm kind of building this big picture to show you you're not separate from God, but being connected with God is not a fearful thing. It's not a thing where you have to be afraid that he's going to be mad at you. We talked about that two weeks or maybe three weeks ago, where in Isaiah 54 it says, After the cross, God's promise is that he will give us a covenant of peace that will last forever, and he will no longer be angry with you or rebuke you. Does that mean it's okay to sin? No. Does that make you want to sin? No. Okay, just checking. <laughs> You'd be surprised where some people go with it. The promise of the new covenant is that your sin has been removed from you. Jesus absorbed it. Now God is not, there's nothing left for God to hold against you because Jesus dealt with it already. Does that make it okay to sin? Thank you. But what it does is it makes you realize, okay, yes, I have been made righteous in my spirit. That is a indwelling present reality, but I'm not living that way. Here's what will happen. God will come in and convict you of the righteousness that he's been given. See, I I like to kind of dissect some of these things because if you get into the grace camp, depending on who you're listening to, I don't like the title grace message. Really, we're talking about the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But sometimes people like to splinter things off. And people will say, God's not convicting. Well, he is convicting. You just have a religious perspective of what you think conviction looks like. Let's look at at what it really looks like. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but there is conviction. So let's just look at a few scriptures. Um, Go over to John 16, and we'll start in verse 8. Don't put it up on the wall just yet because I want to give a little bit of backstory. John 15, 16, 17 is Jesus teaching on the function of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you this quickly. John 15, Jesus starts talking and he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you can see yourself that way, it's a real powerful image because that gives you something to root your faith into, which is him, right? Imagine that your beliefs are the roots that come out of your heart And you want them to grow into him. You want your heart to be pulling nutrients and life and sustenance and provision out of him. You want Jesus to be the soil that the faith roots of your heart are going deep into. Because when you need life, are you going to look at your job? Are you going to look at your spouse? Are you going to look at Jesus? Right? So... That's the picture that he's painting here. He says, look, I'm the branch, you're the vine, you're engrafted into me. So if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. If you don't abide in me, you'll be scattered. And then what he says is very interesting. It sounds contradictory if you don't know what he's, what the, the definition of this phrase here. 
But it says, if you don't bear fruit in me, I'll take you away. Is that, you ever heard that talk? God will take you away if you're not bearing fruit. It's very interesting. Y'all realize that the Bible, or that, that Jesus didn't speak King James English, right? Meaning that maybe some of the English versions that we, I'm not saying the Bible is wrong or fallible. I'm just saying that some of our English translations have mistranslated some words. It's evident when you go back and you look at like a Thayer's Greek lexicon, which is where I did for this particular verse in John 15. The phrase takes away actually means to lift up, to bear up, to carry upon oneself. The picture he's saying is it's like a gardener. He's the one telling the parable, right? The context is a vine in a branch. How many of you are gardeners in here? What do you do if a branch is leaning? Do you yank it off or do you stake it up? That's the picture that we're looking at here. He, he's not coming and looking at you as a vine, as a branch to rip you off and throw you away. He comes along and says, oh, this branch is growing and it's touching the ground and it's not going to be able to bear fruit like that, so we need to stake it up so it can actually bear fruit. That's the picture he's presenting. And then he goes on to teach about the Holy Spirit, that he's the comforter. He's the one that will help. And he says, you can't bear fruit unless you're in me. Why would he take you out of him because you can't bear fruit that way, but yet he wants you to bear fruit? I, the logic doesn't make sense to me. So then he teaches on who the Holy Spirit is. He's the comforter. He's the one that's called alongside to help. He's the one that will be with you, lead you and guide you in all truth, tell you things to come, remind you what I've taught you. Then he goes into 16 here. and This is also what the Holy Spirit will do. John 16, verse 8, I am in the new King James. And when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Okay, leave it on there for just a second. We have the picture that God's, the, the, the definition of conviction, it's like, very, it's like a very legal term. Like God's going to make you feel guilty. God's going to show up and make you uncomfortable for that sin that you're doing. So, but thankfully, he continues to teach because he shows what it means to convict of sin. Okay, let's look at the next one. So to convict of sin, of sin because they do not act right. Of sin because they don't talk right. Of sin because they didn't give a big enough check. Of sin because of the way they... no of sin because of what they believe. Specifically, they don't believe in me. The sin that the Holy Spirit will deal with you in your heart is the sin of not believing on Jesus. Does that mean that sin is not, doesn't matter? No. It's, what we're talking about is a spiritual and inward, a kingdom inward perspective of how God operates with you in relationship. It's spirit to spirit. It's spirit to heart. So that your fruit will be addressed. See, God convicting you of your beliefs ultimately does address the fruit. He just doesn't start with the fruit. He doesn't come with you. You know it. I mean, think about it. If somebody comes to you and they say, hey, you did this wrong, what are you going to do? It's like an immediate wall. It's separate. It's like, uh, I don't trust this person. But if I come to you and say, hey, Cope, man, good to see you. How are you doing? How's the family? How's the baby? I'm not just trying to, you know, 
schmooze, but I'm affirming the relationship, affirming the connection. The relationship is first. Then deal with the behaviors. That's what God does. He'll show up and he'll say, when you're in the midst of sin, you're better than that. Remember the blood of Jesus? Remember when Jesus said this, that remember when he was laying in that storm? He was in that back of that boat. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And he's saying, remember that when Jesus, remember how he was laying there? And professional fishermen were thinking that they were going to die. But Jesus is right there in the middle of that storm. You know, the way that you are responding to this problem right now, how does that look in light of what Jesus showed you? You know, he's going to use the word. He's going to speak to you inward. He's going to teach you so that you get it from a heart perspective, which will change your behaviors. But... When you start hearing that kind of communication from God, you might feel guilty. You might feel some condemnation, but that's only because of where you go in your own heart and mind. Now, this is pretty basic stuff, but the reason I'm doing this is because I want you to be able to trust God. I want you to, in any situation, in anything that you face, you have confidence toward God. You have good feelings toward God. You trust God. You're not looking to him thinking, man, I really blew it. He's really disappointed in me. No. When God convicts you of sin, he deals with whether or not you're believing in Jesus at that moment. Do you see the difference? It's a big difference. Then he says in the next verse, I think it's 10. So remember, he's going to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father where you can see me no longer. Leave it here. What does him going to the Father where you can't see him any longer have to do with righteousness? He came up out of that grave. This is in Hebrews. He took his own blood and ascended before the Father into the heavenly holy of holies where we couldn't see him any longer. And what did he do? He cleansed that heavenly holy of holies. He offered his own blood just like a priest would do under the old covenant as a testimony of the atonement. Jesus went into heaven with perfect human blood to atone for the sin of the world so that whoever would come through him could be made righteous. That's what he's talking about. I'm going to convict of righteousness because I've gone to heaven and secured righteousness for all who will come through me. So when he deals with you and the Holy Spirit's talking to you in the midst of your sin, he's going to remind you, no, no, you're better than this. I have made you righteous. I have made you right with me. Now, here's grace. Now live that way. Absolutely, there's an expectation to live worthy of what he's done within you. But it's not the living worthy of it that makes it true. It's already true. You just get to experience the benefit of it. Do you see that? I mean, you know, I I know I hammer these same kinds of concepts all the time, but I want you to trust God. I want you, when you think about God, you know that you can go to him. I mean, in your darkest, worst moments, I want you to remember this so that you don't go away from him, that you go to him, not because... It's okay to sin, but because he is the absolute only one who can do something about it. He can give you the strength that you walk out of it. You have to be able to trust him. You have to know. I mean, he's the one person that you have to know that when you go to him, 
there's not one ounce of guilt or condemnation that he's going to lay on you. Do you know that? you believe that? I know you got a lot of room in here. All the chatty people were in first service, but <laughs> y'all could say, yeah, I get it. Yeah. All right. So let's just look at Romans 8, because I want to kind of throw this in there as well, to affirm condemnation is interesting because it does have to do with a guilty sentence. Conviction is, I'm, gonna, I'm going to affirm a truth within you. Condemnation is pointing out faults. God is not fault-finding with you. Conviction is not about God looking at you and saying, you've got this problem, I'm going to put my finger on it and make you squirm a little bit, and that's going to be the motivation to make you change. No, it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. It's his kindness toward us that draws us to change our minds. But in Romans 8, 1 here, this same concept is just affirmed. I'm in the NIV. So, therefore, there is no condemnation. There is no guilty sentence against those who are in Christ. Amen. Amen. I mean, we could throw some chairs across the room on that one. <laughs> Verse 2. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit, or different places it's called different things, the law of the Spirit of life, the law of liberty, the law of love. We're talking about a way of relating to God that's based on faith rather than law. So the law of the Spirit who gives us life has set us free from the law of sin and death. You're out of the kind of relationship with God where you sin and he brings death. That's done. Jesus satisfied that. Verse 3, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Man, I'm telling you, this element of Jesus is missed in a large part of Christianity. This, this element of Jesus being an offering it's, it, it, ha it should be the focus, not just a little piece of covenantal teaching one day out of 52 weeks in a year. It's the focus. He's the propitiation. He's the offering. He's your righteousness. He is the sacrificial lamb that makes you acceptable before the Father. So he condemns sin in the flesh. See, God has no more sin to condemn you with because it was all placed on and in Jesus. Jesus became your sin. That's the gospel, verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. The legalists love to jump on a term like this and say, see there, it's about living in the Spirit. And living in the Spirit is doing works. You can take that verse down if you would. But a little further down, he explains what living in the Spirit is. He says, if, you are, if, if the Spirit of God is in you, you are in the Spirit. That's what living in the Spirit means. In other words, you are living with an awareness that God is within you. So when you miss it, let me show you why you do. Let's go over to 2 Peter verse 1. I mean, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Peter 1, 9. 2 Peter 1, 9 is after a list of things that faith... Pull it down just for one second, if you would. 
2 Peter 1 is all about a list of things that faith should produce in your life, right? If you're living by faith, if you're a child, if you're a child of God, these things should be added to your faith. You should be displaying these things. And some people take it and say, this is how you show that you actually believe, is you do these things as if your obedience proves your faith. I don't think so. I think your obedience is a fruit of your faith in Jesus. So, you know, I could see where they would use that thinking. But if you don't have all of the things in your life that faith should produce, if you are choosing sin, if you are not bearing fruit, I think this is the same kind of teaching that Jesus talks about in John 15, that if you're not bearing fruit, there's a reason. Jesus said it's because you're not abiding in me. Peter says it a different way. Let's look at it. If you don't bear all the things in your life that faith should be bearing, verse 9, but whatever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed or forgiven from their past sins. See, when you choose sin, it's because you have forgotten that you're forgiven. This is, this is kind of a simple thing, but think about it. It's pretty, it's pretty deep when you go there. See, let's say you cheat on your spouse. Not a good idea. But let's say they forgive you, right? And the sin is removed, and they don't bring it up, and there's not like, you know, I mean, it's removed. It's legitimately forgiven, and you have gotten back on the same page together, and you want the marriage to work. Would you dare to enter into an adulterous relationship again? Absolutely not. You want to preserve the forgiveness that has been extended to you from your spouse. This is what we're talking about. If you end up in a place that violates the relationship, it's because you forgot that you were forgiven. If you continue in sin, it's because you forgot that you've already been forgiven. Do you see that? If you're not bearing the fruit in your life, it's because you have not taken the time to personalize and own the sufferings of Christ on your behalf so that you live in a state of constant thankfulness because you're forgiven. I don't mean you walk around and it's like, oh, I'm worthless, I'm unworthy, but you chose to forgive me anyway, thank you. No, I'm talking about, man, my God loves me. My God removed my sin from me and placed it in Jesus. I don't want to violate that. I don't, I don't want to let anything enter into that circle that's going to disrupt my relationship with him. I want to absolutely preserve in righteousness and holiness the forgiveness that he has extended to me. See, all the way through, God's dealings with you and your behaviors of sin is not for guilt and condemnation to try to make you feel guilty, to make you repent. It's to show you, this is what I have done for you. You don't have to live that way. Because what we do is when we face those habits, we deal, we, you know, those sins creep up. That stuff, we, it flies out of your mouth and you're thinking, ooh, I shouldn't have said that. How do I get that one back in, you know? The, the natural mind wants condemnation, wants to be beat up a little bit. I've heard it said, you know, I mean, I criticize ideas. I say things about what's taught in some churches, but I, I, I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm not attacking churches. I'm attacking ideas and what religion does to people. 
But I've heard it said that, you know, I feel, I don't feel like I've been to church unless I've been beat up a little bit. Really? Because God's a God of comfort. God is a God that wants to remind you what he's done for you. God is saying, look, I love you. You're my child. I mean, do any of you that have children, you go to your children and you try to guilt them into doing the right thing? Now, you might have done that. It works for a little while, but it doesn't work for very long, does it? It's not fun. I mean, do you feel good about yourself after you've done that? You old thing, you. (laughs) God's a good God. Again, this is all very basic, fundamental stuff, but... Slowly but surely, I'm chipping away and at my, for myself and for all of us that God, that all the issues that keep us separated in our, in our minds and hearts from trusting him, from going to him. See, I want you to trust God because when you trust him, your heart opens up to him. And when your heart is open to him, man, you're not going to limit him. You're going to let him build within you what he's done for you spiritually already. But when you sin and you feel bad and guilty and you run away from him, that's what the enemy would want you to do. That's, that's what religion would want you to do. Feel bad a little bit. That's what even some of the definition of repentance that's taught would say, is you've got to come down and convince God how sorry you are. Then he'll release a little bit more forgiveness for you. No, repentance is all about, it's like, it's like you woke up and you're thinking, oh my gosh, why have I been playing around with that sin? This is... This is robbing my joy. This is robbing my capacity to see God. This is keeping me from having faith toward God because I feel so guilty all the time. And then when you realize that and you wake up and you have a repentance and you look to God and you realize, oh, man, he's not trying to hurt me. He's not trying to make me fit. He's not trying to use this against me. He's not holding this against me. He loves me. He's giving me grace to walk out of this thing. Now, you might know this, but your neighbor doesn't. You, you hear me? I mean, this is, a, this is like, a, you know, we mostly have believers that come here, and I'm okay with that a little bit. But I want us, I don't, I don't, I, I feel like what I'm, when I preach these things, yes, it's to remind you, but it's also to equip you because when you have these conversations with people and people start talking about the bad things that they've done because you're the kind of Christian that people like to just confess things to. You just are. You know why? Because you know God loves you. When you know God loves you, you're going to emanate that and they're going to come to you and feel safe and they're just going to tell you things. How, this is, I didn't do this in first service, but how many of you have had, someone has said to you, I don't know why I'm telling you these things. Look around. That's not normal. (laughs) It's because you love God, you know God loves you, and you're a safe place. You're a safe person. So you need to be able to tell them, God is not holding your sin against you. God doesn't want you to stay in that sin, but because he loves you, he will give you grace and empower you, and he will talk to you as a favored child. So trust him. Just try just try him out. Maybe you should read the book of John. You ever read the book of John? Maybe you should check out the book of John. Just learn about who Jesus is. This is what you're saying to other people, you know. In fact, I would, I would give you, I haven't given a homework assignment in a while, have I? Here's your homework. Read John, not to try to understand the doctrine, but to watch how Jesus treats people. I've said that before, but it's, it's, it's an interesting read. Read the book of John and just look at how Jesus treats people. It's fascinating. 
You know, and then you look at how he treats people in different scenarios, how he treats the religious, how he treats the broken, how he treats different people. It's interesting. It's a really interesting read. But we have to know. We have to be able to carry the gospel to people so they know they can turn to God. It's the only solution. It's what the world needs. It's what your friends, it's what your family, it's what the, your neighbors need to hear that God loves them and there's a way to live with him that's not full of guilt. Gosh, people feel so bad. You just talk to people. You start talking to people and they open up their hearts. They carry so much guilt. People carry so much shame. But Jesus took it for them so they could let it go. Not so they could continue in it, but so they could have victory over it. You get to be the person to go to people and let them out of shame prison. You get to be the person that goes to people and declares to them the freedom that Jesus paid for them to have. You're like the guy that shows up in Vietnam and gets the POWs out of camp and says, the war is over, we're here, we're taking you home. You're that guy. You're setting the captives free. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for the salvation that we have in Jesus. We are committed to taking this message, to taking the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ to the world. We want it so firmly established in our hearts that we never waver. We want it so firmly established in our hearts that it actually guides us, that we learn who we are because of an awareness of your spirit within us. But we want the world to know how good you are. I am committed to communicating your love for people and showing them your goodness and teaching them your goodness from the word. Is that your prayer?